right. Well, welcome, Dr. Gold. I'm so excited to have you again on my podcast. And uh, thanks again for uh, joining me today. So for those who are listening, this is Dr. Claudia Gold, and uh, I'm just welcoming her back to Momnificent. She is the author of several books around kids, raising kids, mental health, and I I just loved her last episode. If you haven't seen it, go back in the history of the podcast and find it because I shared it with many new mothers and they found it so helpful and beneficial, especially when it comes to listening to your baby and those ways of listening and watching and observing that. I just absolutely loved what you shared, Dr. Gold, there. So I had recently had several parents reach out to me about the topic of tantrums. And so I know you've done extensive work in this area. So maybe we'll just jump right in and maybe you can first help those listening and myself help us by first under- explaining what a tantrum is. And maybe we just start with that simple basic. I know that was actually a question that just came out. So where would you start with us there? Sure. I'm actually going to jump ahead to one of your other question, which is okay. the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown, because I, I think it's helpful to include that in uh, discussing what a tantrum is, because I, there's a lot of overlap. I would say a tantrum can become a meltdown, or you can even think of them as, as similar related things. But classically, a tantrum has been thought of in a fairly narrow way as a toddler expression of their relative smallness and helplessness. So you know, a, a one year, I have this example in my my first book, Keeping Your Child in Mind, which happens as someone who wears glasses, happened to me with my kids, that your child wants your glasses. Now, up until the time they're about 15 months old, the, the world is kind of their oyster. They're learning to walk and like they feel like they are on top of the world. And, it, you know, you know, that sort of exuberance of the of the one year old. But somewhere around 15 months, they begin to be aware that they don't actually run the show and that there are limits and limits are really very helpful and good things. But when you're, you know, 15 months old and you want your to grab your mother's glasses, it doesn't feel good when she says, no, you can't have my glasses. So in a very kind of healthy, normal way, a child will have what we classically call a tantrum, that they get overwhelmed with frustration that what they want to do isn't happening. And then they, you know, throw themselves on the floor and jump up and down. And it's a fairly typical self-limited thing that occurs in toddlers. So that's a very narrow definition of a tantrum. And I think, you know, I'm going to let you go on to more questions because I think it's often diffuses out into much more complex, bigger issues. And do do we know what triggers a tantrum or is that just like so case specific? Yeah, again, in this very narrow definition of a tantrum, which has to do with the trigger being the recognition by the child that they are not in control of the situation and that the big people are the ones who are calling the shots. So that, so the, in this, again, I'm emphasizing this is a very narrow definition of a tantrum when it's that I don't get what I want and I throw myself on the floor. It's typically triggered exactly by that because in a, in a very appropriate way, a big person has set a limit on the child and they don't and, like. And what age do you typically start to see that? Because one of the questions well, came in like, well, what age do kids hear from? Do they grow out of it? Is it typical to see it at five, yeah. 10, nine years old too? Uh, no. I mean, I think when, again, when I'm talking about it in this very specific, narrow way, it's a, it's a toddler developmental stage because as they grow, you know, two, three, they begin to have language. They begin to have more capacity for communicating their needs, for expressing their frustration. Um, 
So it's in this classic, very narrow definition, it's it's a toddler thing. Okay. So if a child is five and is having multiple tantrums, it's got different meaning. And, and I think we talked about this on the podcast last time that really wondering about the meaning or being curious about what's going on for the child is really across the board kind of the most helpful thing if we are able as parents in the moment to do that. I know. And I love how you shared on our last episode about being curious. I've used that so many times. I'm like, just be curious and even and even taking a step back myself and looking at something a kid does and just asking a question, not assuming what I think, but really just, okay, what if? Maybe. I'm not sure. Let's find out more before I just impose what I what I think about exactly. what I'm coming up with in that situation. And just to elaborate, the child probably isn't able to tell you, particularly if they're an infant. So it's really more the on the onus of the adult <laughs> to wonder, oh, have they not had have they not had enough to eat? Did they not get enough sleep? Did we have a big did I have a big fight with my partner and they're upset about that? Is there, you know, are they reacting to their baby sibling coming home? You know, so it's not really the onus is not on the child. To tell you what's going on, but really on the caregiver, the parent, to be able to get themselves into a calm enough place. And that's key, which I hope we'll talk more about, that they can say, well, I don't really know what this is about and be open to wondering what's going on for their child, whether they're six months old or 17 years old. So then what what do you say to parents and grandparents even when the, let's talk about when they're like two-year-old having this tantrum because you just said no, or you can't touch this. Um, like what steps do you recommend that parents practice taking in those situations? Do you, do you rush to them? Do you leave them? How, how much time do you let them tamper till tamper, tamper, tamper until you, till you intervene? And then what would that intervention look like? So again, if we're sticking with, we'll go on to meltdowns because I think that's a broader and actually probably more useful concept in some way. But in this classic toddler tantrum where they're just coming up against the limits of their uh, power. Um, Number one, you know, put on your own oxygen mask first, always, you know, if you uh, can receive their upset with calm, and just like, okay, do your thing, you know, and make sure they're safe. You know, you don't like this, but this is the way it is. They tend to be fairly self-limited. But Often that is not the situation. Actually, I was just talking with a mom the other day who was describing a scene with her two children when she gets home from work and she's exhausted. There, There's also her partner who's not home. And so there's that relationship, which is playing into it because she's frustrated that she has to work all day, come home, make dinner for the kids, two kids. And the toddler pulls the hair of the four-year-old. And then, then, if, if in, then if the mother then says no... And that's a very, a much more complicated situation because you have all the people in this kind of vulnerable state and, and then, you know, sort of what to do is much more complicated than simply saying, okay, let it run its course and, and move on. And so it reminds me, okay, I'm throwing, throwing a wild card question at you because it reminds me of a mom that I was talking to and she said, well, my five-year-old gets upset at the dinner table when we're all sitting around having dinner together and then just starts crying, doesn't want to eat this, that, and the other. And she was like, we just remove the whole family from the living room and let the kid just like ha- have it out and get... Or do we physically remove him so everyone can finish dinner? What would you say to that? Well, again, these are very tricky situations because there are a lot of, and I get that somebody just wants the expert to tell them what to do. Um, And I want to be as helpful as possible, 
but recognizing that there are a lot of things going on there that we don't really know. It reminds me of another family that that I worked with. And, and as we kind of talked about it uh, and made sense of what was going on for the child who was having these meltdowns at the dinner table, and it came out that they were really not, they were struggling in school and they were really needing some more, what I call special time with a parent. And so they were acting out at the dinner table because that was highly disruptive and they knew, okay, so we're all here and this is something that's really going to get them. I get the attention, positive or negative. I get it. And so when we were able to take, take a step back and listen to the whole story, that then sort of having some, you know, 10 minutes where it was just a one-on-one time with the five-year-old and the parent, um, which I recognize is also logistically often difficult, but that may be a very simple way to address it. That's none of those options that you gave me of removing one or removing everybody. But when you're you're struggling as a family, sort of taking a step back and saying, well, what's happening with us? How can we make sense of what's happening for us as a family? And it may unearth some things, some unexpected things, if you really let yourself be curious about what's going on for your family. And I think that's what you said before, right? Like it's actually the answers inside of us. If if we just, the key is to just stop, like get mm-hmm. calm, be reflective in those moments of reflection. Wasn't that you that said that? You were like, it will come out. You will observe or be curious and, and, and right? I love that. But you need to be taking care of yourself. And I think this is kind of what your podcast does. I mean, we often, parents are so alone these days, especially, uh, you know, since the pandemic and, and, um, having a community uh, or so, I mean, that's what I do professionally. I meet with people one-on-one and, and help them do this. Um, but finding forums, groups, Facebook groups, uh, uh, people who can help you to feel like someone's listening to you as the caregiver puts you in a much better position to be able to listen to your children. I absolutely love that. So be curious. I I like to throw the word like reflect, like Mm -hmm. notice what what's going on. Like you said, that reflection brings you to the point of like, okay, what else, what else in the larger scheme of our, our life is, is, is happening um, to see what the other into this. Yeah. And the other phrase is actually I have a new, I'm working on a new book, which is title is getting to know you because what I've discovered is as much as reflection is the willingness to not know, okay. not know exactly what to do, not know exactly what it's all about and kind of being open and, and a little bit playful with it. Um, I, I think that's in addition to this idea of reflection and curiosity uh, is, is letting go of the need to always know exactly what to do. Yeah. And that in itself is totally and it'll be missing. You do it wrong sometimes. Right, right. I and, love when and that's even okay. and I use that with, with when I'm talking to people or or talking to a difficult situation where a colleague comes to me and they're just like, you can tell they're having a hard time coming out with something. I'm like, just say it messy and then clean it up. Like if if, if you're not sure, it's like we we just have this thing of like it has to be a certain way. And if it's not, like it either trips us up. And I'm like, and I love someone told that to me. They're like, just say it messy and then and then we'll clean it up from there. And then usually yes. they can just like, uh, well, congratulations on your new book. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you. Well, I'm just starting it. So it's going to be a couple of a year awesome. or so, but yes. I'm having fun with it. And yeah. still, oh my gosh, I'm so, so excited for that. Um, okay. So here's a, a question that came up. See what, what your response is to this one. Recently, my two-year-old threw a tantrum in public. I was so embarrassed. There they are lying on the floor, kicking and screaming for not getting their way. How do I deal with it? Well, those are so tough because I mean, one of the dark 
corners of parenting is is feelings of shame that we just, we don't talk about enough. I mean, I think a lot of parents, again, in a society that doesn't offer a lot of support to families, there are a lot of moments of shame, which is a really unpleasant, difficult feeling. And I think that's what happens to parents when their children have trouble in public. So again, the only way, uh, only a calm parent can calm an upset child and an upset parent cannot upset child. Say that again. So that's, yes, this is embarrassing. This is upsetting, but you're, you know, if you can get to a place where you are not overwhelmed with those feelings of shame, you're going to be much better able to meet what's going on for your child. So, I mean, practically speaking, I guess probably most parents know what to do. You know, you have to leave. You can, if, if, if your child is not able to handle the situation. And I would have families where like in a divorce situation, the the parent would pick up the child from school, having not seen them for three or four days and go grocery shopping. Well, of course, that's what you have to do because you got to feed your child and yourself. But absolute worst time where the child is finally with the parent who they haven't seen it's, you know, they've been at daycare all day. They're never going to survive an outing to the grocery store. So they're going to fall apart. Um, so realizing that, first of all, like trying not to get yourself into that situation, but every parent has been in that situation where their child is overwhelmed and cannot manage. And that's where we bleed into the, the meltdown part of it, uh, is just overwhelmed by the situation and just unable to manage it. And just to get a little deeper into that, once a child is in the meltdown stage of things, even if they may have very good language skills and and really developing thinking skills, typically what happens is that just goes out the window. So you're trying to explain things to your child and that part of their brain that processes language is just not working because they're too flooded. Um, so then you keep saying, we can't do this. We need to go to the store. I need to get dinner. And there, it, it is just like you're going, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and they're not right. getting what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, isn't it true? That's where I sometimes say, if you ask the kid their name, they might not even be able to tell you their name because they literally cannot, I just call it, think clearly at that moment. And here we are yeah. firing questions at them and firing statements at them because we go into this auto mode that is always. Yeah. Now. And I use love the this. word. I love um, uh, disorganized. I don't know. Some parents find that helpful, but like not in their others, mind. you know, that you're just not the bit, the child is just not able to access their higher yes. capacities. Yeah. Um, and they're often, I mean, and I would say, especially a child, and we're kind of talking about all children as if they're the same, but if you've had a child who's had a lot of stress in their lives early on, let's say a child who's, uh, you know, adopted out of foster care or, you know, all sorts of things that happen to families. There was mental illness. If there's a lot of conflict in the family, they're more vulnerable and they're more likely to, to more quickly fall apart in that kind of a situation. So sometimes I even tell parents that your child will very quickly regress to be act like to be like an infant. That's a good even point. Even if they're three or four years old. And and in that moment of regression, actually speaking to them like they're an infant is is actually quite helpful. You know, you you use your voice. You can't physically hold them, but you talk to them in a gentle, calm voice, and you try to hold them as much as you would. It seems sort of counterintuitive because parents say, "Well, isn't that going to teach them that they're going to get away with it?" But no, that is not what's going to happen because they're not in a learning state. They're in a 
a much more regressed state than a state where they take in information. Mm-hmm. And that state that they're in needs you needs your help, that your voice, your calmness, your presence to help them move to a more organized state where they can actually begin to use their words and and, and understand what you're saying. So good. I'm so glad you made those points. Okay. So let me let me scan my last couple of questions because I know we're coming to sure. a close here. Oh, what about this question? How long does a tantrum last? Not really. But again, if it's that very narrow definition of a tantrum. Okay. Child wants your glasses. You say, no, you can't have my glasses. They throw themselves on the floor. Those are fairly self-limited. Um, it, it will not go on for, for too long. Mm-hmm. But often the situation is much more complicated than that. The thing that will help to get out, it's like a cycle of interaction rather than a thing that the child is doing. That, that's one thing that I think is very helpful to think of is that what is going on is in the context of relationships. And it's the relationship between the child and that parent. It's between that parent and the other parent who may or may not be there, between the child and the sibling. So that it's a it's a relationship experience. So looking at what is going on in our relationship that is problematic, and then th- like that example with the dinner table, and that's where you will find the the what to do about it is is in the relationship. And you're right; it's 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 just individual, right? At that at that point, yeah, and and an individual, and in that some children are more vulnerable. Uh, I mean, I, I think. Where was I reading it? But but and I often write about this. Some chi- children are very have different responses to their sensory experience, so that they might get very easily overwhelmed. I mean, this was something that I dealt with with my child, who's now twenty four, but extremely uh, sensory sensitive to auditory things. So when there were fireworks, I mean, he would just completely fall apart, like just could not manage himself with when there were a lot of loud sounds, and I would have to take him into the car where I could close the windows <laughs> and yeah. he just really c- couldn't handle it. I mean, now he's a musician, you know, he uh, works on a farm. So he's, he's very well able to be in the world now, but, yeah. but at the time I had to really be respectful of what his limits were in order for him to be able to kind of move through to a point where he could tolerate the intensity of his experience. And that is that also something that you're adding in your new book? Because it, it sounds like it, that would be part of like getting to know your child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you realize or observe or notice those things, then yeah. it might not be so, oh my gosh, why is my kid doing this? You're, you'll yeah. understand it'd be like, oh, I understand while they're doing it. And now how we, can we help whatever that situation is that looks like. Exactly. Mm, yeah. So good. All right. So one last question. I have a colleague who's expecting their first baby. We just had their, her baby shower this week. Which book of yours would you recommend that they start with and why? I would say my first book still uh, is the best book for parents, keeping your child in mind, because the the other ones are, are really for a more broad uh, audience. Okay. Um and yeah, and I think it's got some covers from the newborn period all the way through adolescence. So that's what I would recommend. Although they can follow my blog or sign up for my newsletter where you get new information all the time. And that's where the new stuff that's that's going to be in the in the new book will be also. All right. And I'll add that link in the description notes of this show. Well, Dr. Gold, thank you so much for joining me. I know you're having a super fun time with your kids right now, traveling a lot and your new grandbaby. So I'm so excited. Thanks for carving out this small part of your day to share with myself, 
And those listening, I am sure this is going to be really helpful for the moms who are tuning in and anyone who listens to this at a later time. So thank you. Great. Well, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure.